This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Welcome back to Dollars and Change. I'm Catherine Klein. And I'm Nick Ashburn. And we are here talking with uh, business leaders who are forging the path to business as a force for good, thinking seriously about corporate social impact, how you, you know, use the, use the resources of business uh, you know, to make a, different, a positive difference in the world. And as we're exploring, you know, we, we talked earlier with Ryan McCarty, a, a co-founder of Culture of Good. We were just talking with Jan Jones-Blackhurst from the Caesars Entertainment Corporation. You know, there, there is so much positive momentum, and the issues are still difficult. You know, there are lots of interesting challenges about how do you pull this off, you know, is this is this authentic? Is this genuine? Is it high impact? Where do you choose to focus? So lots of interesting issues, and I'm delighted to continue that focus today with our uh, our next guest, Leslie Johnston, Executive Director of CNA Foundation. Leslie, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Catherine and Nick. Good great, to be here. Great to have you with us. So uh, I'm sure many of our listeners know CNA, but I imagine plenty of them don't know CNA. You're, you're bigger in the, the company is bigger in in Europe, uh, I believe, than in the U.S. So what's what is CNA? Yep. So well, CNA is a global fashion retailer. Uh, it's actually been around for about 175 years. It's one of the oldest fashion retailers that is at its size and still privately held. And operates, as you say, mostly in Europe, um, but also has retail operations in Mexico, Brazil, and China, um, and sourcing operations in about 40 countries worldwide. And CNA Foundation, which is the corporate foundation that I run, is a relative new kid on the block. We officially relaunched as a global foundation about three years ago, focusing very much on how we can help make fashion be a force for good. And... um... So you say you relaunched. What does what do you, it was not that you launched, you relaunched. What does that mean? Well, by relaunching, what I mean is that for many, many years, CNA, because it's been around um, for almost seven generations, um, has been very active in corporate philanthropy. Um, but the philanthropy has been quite decentralized. Uh, there is a standalone foundation in Mexico, a standalone one in Brazil, uh, and pretty much a lot of the things that were being funded were not really aligned with a global vision and, and mission. And the decision to sort of bring all that together and create one global vision, you know, focused on the purpose of making fashion be a force for good, that was the core of the relaunch. And, and by doing so, we reoriented, reoriented the, the work of the existing foundations in Mexico and Brazil, but then also started building out a global team that could focus on the areas that we felt needed the most work. Interesting. And um, so many interesting uh, topics. I'm, I'm delighted we, we have you on the show for this, this segment because you've already sparked my interest in lots of these different uh, topics. So um, you talk about... Um, well, let's let's talk about the fashion industry. For listeners who may not have been thinking about the fashion industry as either a, a positive force or a negative force, uh, you know, help our help our listeners understand. There is actually, um, I will I will just give the a headline here. There's a lot in the world of social impact, in the world of corporate social responsibility. There's a lot of concern and criticism uh, of the fashion industry. Why? Yes. Well, the fashion industry, unbeknownst to many, is actually the second most polluting industry in the world after What's oil and gas. The second most wow. polluting industry in the world after oil and gas. Wow. And yeah. there's many reasons for that. 
uh, it has an extremely large negative environmental footprint. If you look at the waste alone, on an annual basis, you get about 80 billion pieces of clothing produced every year. And we estimate about three quarters of that will be discarded going to landfill. Mm. But if you actually look at the production process for clothing, starting with cotton, which is an extremely thirsty crop uh, requiring Hmm. lots of pesticides, if not grown organically. So that has a significant impact in terms of water use and chemicals going into the earth all the way through the wet processing, which is the dyeing stage. And that's where your average T-shirt could have 200, 300 chemicals on it um, from that alone. Uh, It's messy. And I think the challenge with fashion is it's such a decentralized industry. So any given fashion retailer would be sourcing potentially from 10, 12, 13, maybe 15 different companies, you know, all playing a different role along the value chain. So the potential for a retailer at the end of the chain to influence what's happening, you know, within that chain is sometimes quite limited. Um, And sometimes there's not a lot of transparency on what the challenges are, both environmental and social. And that's, that's one reason why, as a foundation, we felt there was a role, because we felt that there were enough deeply rooted systemic challenges in this industry that needed more than, more than companies to act in a way. I think that if you bring philanthropic capital to the table, you can play a very interesting role to almost de-risk things for the private sector to act in a different way. So, and that's really the core of what we're trying to do. So interesting. So um, we're talking with Leslie Johnston, executive director of the CNA Foundation with a major focus on the, the fashion industry and, and changing the fashion industry for better. Uh, what kind of changes are possible? You've described, you know, people uh, discarding, what did you say, three quarters of the, of, the, of the clothing is discarded and goes into landfill. Even when we give it away, it may not actually have any beneficial impact on, on communities and others because there's so much clothing. And uh, uh, certainly in, in many emerging markets I've seen, you know, and just kind of endless um, secondhand clothing for sale. Um, you've talked about the supply chain, so lots of issues along the way and pollution, uh, um, and also I would say in em- employment practices and along the supply chain. What changes are you hoping to drive? If, if CNA Foundation is genuinely successful in making changes in the fashion industry, what will we see over the next decade? Well, I hope a decade is enough time for us. <laughs> I gave you. I get. I did. I thought five years. Now let me give her a decade. <laughs> yeah, I know. Maybe a generation. Um, no, I think that. Um, so, so our approaches. I mean, there, there's a lot of challenges in the industry. Where we chose to focus were areas where we felt, first of all, there were significant negative, posit- uh, negative social and environmental impacts, but then also there was a relevance to the work that the retailer that we're attached to, CNA, is operating. So, for example, uh, I gave the example of cotton being a challenging crop because of how much water it uses. CNA is actually the world's largest buyer of organic cotton. However, if you look at organic cotton uh, as a percentage of total cotton produced in the world, it's less than 1%. So it's not, it's very far from mainstream. I would even barely call it niche uh, because it's so small. And so, you know, we're focusing as a foundation on how can we address 
the enabling environment around organic cotton so that more farmers can take it up, that more brands can ask for it, that governments are supportive of it, you know, that more seed companies do the R&D needed to develop higher performing organic seeds. You know, there's all these sort of pieces of the puzzle that need to fit together to really make organic take off and ultimately improve the livelihoods of, of smallholder farmers. So that's kind of where, where we focus as a foundation and we leave it to the business who really is the force for good because the businesses, whether it's the CNAs or other brands, they're the ones that create the market. You know? And so if you have that pull and then we're working on these levers, it's actually a nice partnership that we think can, can shift the industry. Our specific focus areas, I mean, if you look at what do we want to do in a decade, um, we are looking at cotton. That's one of our signature areas where we're really trying to change the way that sustainable and organic cotton is, is produced. We are also looking at working conditions in factories. There are some significant challenges when you look at an industry that really moves from country to country looking for you know, cheaper and cheaper sources of production. Who suffers the most from that? It's often the workers. Yeah. So we're looking at ways to improve the working conditions to strengthen the voice of the workers. We're also looking at ways to eradicate the ongoing problem of forced and child labor, which exists. And the good news is that there's a lot of discussion about that in the industry today. The Slavery Act in the UK that came out a couple of years ago has put this on the map. So brands are talking about slavery in their supply chains. But the bad news is, is that there's not enough transparency in the supply chain to know if it's there. So what we're trying to do is create that transparency and address this problem so that people know where it is and feel accountable for addressing it. So, Leslie, as you, you describe the work uh, of the CNA Foundation and your goals over this period, um, I'm, I'm intrigued, I must say I'm intrigued and impressed, and one of the things that kind of intrigues me is the, you know, the, 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 um, the retail chains, the, the players in the clothing industry who are often most criticized are those who are uh, kind of on the fast fashion end of the of the of the market, so you know there there are those at least to my knowledge who've looked at um, the fashion industry and said don't buy fa- fast fashion. You want to you know hey customers you want to make a difference buy buy less clothing buy higher end clothing buy clothing that from you know that you that you where you have evidence that maybe it's organic cotton maybe it's um, you know safe safe labor practices across the supply chain uh, and be wary. Of the the chains that are selling the cheap item that you think, oh, this is kind of cute. I'll wear this once. Yeah. Um, and when I think of CNA's space in the market, and I could be wrong, I think of CNA as as occupying that you know lower, faster fashion part of the market. So I think my question comes to, you know, to what extent is the CNA Foundation? Criticizing the CNAs of the world, the CNA businesses of the world. How do you how do you balance that? I think I mean it, it seems like there's a lot of candor about the challenges, and that's impressive. But I could also imagine this being complicated. Yeah, well, it's it's a very good question, and I I do think that um, if you if you look at the current structure of the fast fashion industry, indeed, it is a race to the bottom in many ways. The race for ever cheaper sources of production, um, the race that disregards the impact of uh, the environmental footprint, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I personally believe, and we've structured the foundation around this, is that this can change. And there's, there's, there's proof points out there that show that 
a different model is possible. And, and specifically what I'm referring to is I, I had the opportunity to hear Bill McDonald speak a couple of years ago, who is the founder of the cradle to cradle uh, approach um, to, to manufacturing. And the idea that you can actually create a piece of clothing where everything that goes into it is good, the materials, the chemicals, and everything that comes out of it is good, and the clothing is used, but then it goes on to the next use, and again, and again, and again, is a very interesting model. It's a model that's currently not being scaled. Um, you don't buy a T-shirt and then discard it so it gets repurposed and used again You know, for another five times. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you usually uh, recycle it and then it gets done, you know, sent to Africa. Um, you know, it's, it's, this is not a model that's happening at scale, but I, I do think that this whole idea of circularity, of how do you look at the raw materials going into this industry in a way in that they're used for one purpose, but then repurposed again, and you strip away all the bad stuff, you strip away all the bad chemicals going into this, that could be a new model. And that is actually a model that can actually sit next to the fast fashion industry. Because fast fashion, I mean, really fast fashion is about moving fast and creating things at a low pr price point for people to consume and then move on to the next thing. Um, you know, if, if you can actually structure that in such a way where you don't have to worry about waste because there is no waste, I think that's going to transform the industry, will work, the way the industry will work. Now, will we see that in our lifetimes? I'm not sure, but I get motivated by the fact that there are leasing models popping up. Um, people are getting comfortable with the fact that they might wear someone else's jeans. <laughs> you know, and I think yeah. that we're changing our mindsets. And, and to be frank, I think actually probably the millennials are going to save us from ourselves because they get it. And, and I think they're asking these questions and they're thinking about these things. And we're starting to get into a sharing economy. And that's where things will start getting interesting. So I have faith that fast fashion can be transformed. Um, but I think it also requires behavior change by so all of us. We're, we're talking with Leslie Johnston, executive director of the CNA Foundation. And, and I know Nick has a question, but I wanted to <laughs> remind our guests who we're talking with. Well, <clears throat> excuse me, Leslie, I'm, I'm sort of having some cognitive dissonance and struggling here because I when, I when I hear what you're doing through the foundation, it sounds absolutely fabulous. And it sounds very aligned. You know, I like hearing that, you know, a corporate foundation – it, you know, it's they're not just saying we have a foundation and then we give money to a whole bunch of random folks. This is very much aligned with the business. But yep. because of that, I sort of say, why can't CNA just invest in these things in mm. research and development? Why can't they just put money, you know, as part of the corporation? Why does it have to go through a foundation? Yeah, well, it's, it's a good question. And the short answer is it does. Uh, we don't replace the corporate responsibility of the brand. Um, CNA has its own sustainability department with a global team and its own budget that does invest. As I mentioned earlier, CNA is actually the world's largest buyer of organic cotton and made that commitment very early on and has a commitment by 2020 to be 100% sustainable. So from a business perspective, it is doing that. What I think businesses don't do well, and this is where I think a foundation can play a role, and again, our, our, our goal is to work for the industry, not for the brand, because we are philanthropic, I don't think businesses address some of these more challenging enabling environment constraints to scaling up more sustainable solutions. Um, I gave the example of cotton before. There's other examples in working conditions. Why are working conditions so poor in factories? Well, there's lots of reasons, but one reason why is that there's no transparency between 
um, how, how do buyers negotiate with suppliers? And if we can create a way, you know, to sort of set up a, a platform, for example, that creates transparency on that, almost a trip advisor for suppliers to be mm. able to say, you know, this buyer paid me on time. This buyer actually placed an order that was more than the capacity of my factory. Well, what happens then? Well, that's when you start using, you know, the dodgy subcontractors and, you know, and you start getting, you know, the, the poor working conditions that, that lead to awful tragedies like Rana Plaza in, in Bangladesh. So that's the type of thing that, that we support, we have supported. This is actually a, a platform called Better Buying that we, we've instigated with uh, Marsha Dixon and Doug Kahn. You know, that is the sort of thing that I think a foundation or philanthropic entity can support. You're not going to see a brand. But it sounds like a market problem to me. It sounds like something that, you know, if Nike came out and said, I need you to report on this, people are going to fall in line. But if the problem is, let me just challenge you on this. Why why is organic cotton only 1% of the market? Well, there's lots of reasons. But one of the biggest challenges for farmers is they can't get good seed. They can't get good seed because seed companies won't invest in the R&D needed to develop organic seed because it's only 1% of the market. So it's a chicken or the egg problem. So would a company then start to invest millions into a seed company in India to do research? If they think it would drive their bottom line, wouldn't they? If they think think that this is the wave of the future for customers, that that they may not actually retain customers over time, wouldn't they – make that invest strategic investment if they have a more long-term view? I think if you're closer to the product and if you're, to able, if you're able to say the cotton, organic cotton that comes from our seed development would go into our supply chain, absolutely. But this is a very decentralized supply chain. This is not like a, uh, you know, a, a Mars investing in R&D around cocoa production in West Africa. You know, because that is a much shorter chain. It's very clear that what comes from that cocoa is going into the Mars bars. Um, cotton, a cotton seed, I mean, that, that could be taken up by farmers anywhere. That could be sold anywhere. And it's just a very decentralized. It's almost like a tragedy of the commons. And so I just think that brands Right. So I guess my question on the tragedy of the commons, though, is then it's philanthropy's job to pick that up? I don't think it's philanthropy's job. I think it's more largely society's job, and there are certain players that are better positioned to do it than others. I think government is extremely well positioned. If government were forward-thinking, and already we're working with the government of Madhya Pradesh in India, who is very forward-thinking, they invest in these things. And if they see opportunity, um, it could be philanthropy, it could be civil society, it could be companies. You know, there are companies invest in this. I'm not saying that it's not the role of companies, but I do think that if you're looking at these larger systemic challenges, it's naive to think that companies alone can solve them. Interesting. So uh, we're talking with Leslie Johnston, executive director of the CNA Foundation, talking uh, you know, about the, the fashion industry and the, the potential to change the industry to make it you know, not one of these, uh, as you say, this second largest polluting industry after oil and gas you know, and to, to clean up forced in child labor and and so on. Um, And I would just say, uh, you know, I I think your perspective is really interesting and helpful on the role of government, the role of philanthropy and the role of business. Because I, you know, I will say as a, uh, in my, in my teaching on social impact uh, here at the Wharton School, you know, these are questions that come up a lot. What is the role, you know, what, what role can different sectors, leaders, individuals play 
Um, so I appreciate your comments on that. Let's turn the attention a little bit, speaking of different uh, sectors and players. You've got a partnership um, with the Ashoka Foundation and um, are working to support social entrepreneurs uh, in a program, I think, called uh, Fabric of Change. So yep. what? tell us about uh, the you know your relationship with Ashoka What is and, and what are you trying to do with Ashoka? Sure. Um, so all the problems I talked about before um, – there, there have not really been great solutions to them. And so I think in addition to everything we just discussed, we feel that there is a need for disruption. There's a need for, for innovation. There's a need for new solutions. And that's why we reached out to Ashoka to structure this partnership called Fabric of Change, which really is aiming to scout the world uh, to find, nurture, grow, and develop social enterprises that can address some of these deeply rooted problems in the fashion industry. And the partnership was signed in March 2015. It's a three-year partnership, um, and it really has three components. The first component was to, first of all, do a number of uh, quite a deep dive into some research to understand what are the roadblocks to industry change um, and to really identify kind of what are the levers for transformation. So that was the first piece, and that was published um, about a year and a half ago. The second piece is more of a global challenge, which you may have heard of. This is where we were sort of crowdsourcing new solutions to industry challenges, and that culminated in a, um, an event at the Copenhagen Fashion Summit earlier uh, last year. And then the third part is called the Ashoka Globalizer, uh, which is where we have more bespoke support to leading social innovators in the space that we care about. Interesting. And uh, so let's, uh, let's uh, you know, I know Ashoka best for its work in kind of identifying and supporting uh, social entrepreneurs saying, you know, hey, you've got you've got talent, you've got a, a great idea, let us support you, let us bring you into a network to um, kind of accelerate your grow, accelerate your, your impact. Um, what kind of social entrepreneurs are you working with in this, this partnership with Ashoka? So there, there's quite a diverse range of social entrepreneurs, and that's where we've been um, really thrilled with the partnership because I think that they've helped us identify players that we didn't even know existed. <laughs> so on the one hand, if you look at the winners of the, the Fabric of Change, um, two of the three winners were social entrepreneurs that came up with a new technology that can actually address that waste problem I talked about earlier. One of them, um, the, the MD of Evernew, based in Seattle, has developed a way to do chemical recycling. So essentially, if you have a t-shirt that's half cotton, half polyester, right now there's no way to kind of dissolve those fibers and reuse them hmm. at scale. And so Evernew has a way to do that. And they are um, they have proof of concept, but they need to go further. Um, so that was a great um, concept that we think uh, you know we want to further support. The other winner of that is a, a company called Ambercycle, uh, which essentially was looking at a way to take um, plastics um, and make new fibers uh, from them. Um, and so it's it's another type of chemical technology um, to sort of dissolve and reuse. Um, so both of those, if you can get those to scale, that will be incredible for how we tackle, for example, the plastics in the ocean. You know, what do you do with all that plastic? What if you could actually gather that up and repurpose it as a T-shirt? Um, or what do we do with, you know, that 75% of the waste that's hitting the, the, the you know, the, the piles uh, every year? If, if ever new technology comes to scale, then, then that just could be reused. So, Leslie, this is why I said earlier in my comments, like, I just have such cognitive dissonance because I, I, I do think philanthropy has a huge role in, you know, seeding these types of innovations and de-risking them. Um, so in your, in your role with – in your collaboration with Ashoka, 
Um, are you sort of philanthropically supporting Ashoka? Are there, you know, sort of grants made to the companies to and, you know, do you think that they will be attractive to commercial investors? Like what sort of the value chain and sort of capital there? Yep. So, yeah, so this is quite a big partnership with Ashoka. It's about a $3 million grant that we've provided to them. Now, part of that money does actually go uh, flow through to the fellows uh, and the winners. Sure. So they do get seed capital. I know that one of those winners, for example, used that seed capital essentially to help unlock further capital. I mean, our goal is to catalyze uh, or unlock uh, additional investment. Um, we as the foundation are not being that investor because there's a lot of money out there. Um, there's just not enough strong pipelines. So, mm-hmm. so for me, the goal of the Ashoka partnership is to strengthen that pipe, pipeline so that we're better able to link directly to the other impact investors or even commercial investors or something like Evernew. So Leslie, in the in the last few minutes that we have with you, I'm curious to learn more about your path. I think our listeners will be curious to learn about our path. I, you know, I, I, I mentioned that I'm, I'm, it's my teaching semester. I'm, this is my busiest teaching time. I, I know I'm thinking of channeling these students who are thinking, God, I really want to do this impact thing. Do I go to a nonprofit? Government? Really? I could go into government? You know, do I go to a major corporation? Do I go to Goldman Sachs? Do I go to the, you know, the financial industry? Where do I go? So what's what's been your path? And then maybe we'll steer you to what's your advice to, you know, would-be social entrepreneurs, social impact, impact investors and all young, youngins, college students <laughs> sure. interested in this space. Yeah, absolutely. So my path started in the private sector. Uh, so I started um, in consulting. I worked at McKinsey for a couple of years, and that was a fabulous training ground. Um, and uh, you know, and since then, I then went on to to be part of a startup uh, in the '90s. I'm going to date myself right now. In San Francisco, so did the startup thing. So you know, I come from more of an entrepreneurial kind of consulting background. Um, but probably like your students, I also felt that I needed a bit more meaning in my life. Um, so I made the jump. And I actually jumped to an NGO, an NGO that was actually very business-focused. Um, this is called TechnoServe. I ended up working and living in Africa for 10 years, and then after that, jumped to the funding side. But again, with a business lens, you know, it's a corporate foundation I moved to, not uh, a, a private foundation. And I think that's really important because I think personally, I really do feel that business will be that force uh, for change. And, you know, and if you don't get that right, and if you don't de-risk or incentivize or work with business, then it's only, you're only limited by how much NGOs and foundations can do on their own. Um, So that was very important from my own philosophy perspective. So my advice for your students is I really do think that there's a lot of value in going into business, um, learning from business, um, you know, really doing the the tough job of, of understanding how business works. Uh, and, you know, I think that that to me is a great training ground. And I think, you know, there, there's always time to follow your heart. But I think if, if you if you start in business and it, even if you start in sustainability side of business, then you can actually do good. Uh, and, uh, you know, while, um, you know, learning some really valuable skills. Great. Uh, and uh, and last question for you: What's the you know what's what's next for the CNA Foundation as you look in the shorter term, not the, the you know not the ten year goal, but what what are the initiatives? What's the efforts that you're hoping to uh, you know really push forward in the next year or two to to move the needle on all these big issues? Sure. Uh, well, for me, what's next? I alluded to when I mentioned Bill McDonald. Um, I really do think that this industry needs to shift. 
and there's a lot of talk about circular economy, and it's very exciting. You have leading organizations like Ellen MacArthur um, talking about it and embracing it. I think that's the future for apparel. And from our perspective, we are helping to catalyze that um, by launching in Amsterdam a new initiative called Fashion for Good. Um, and this is something that will be going live in a couple months, which essentially, uh, similar to our Shoka partnership, is a way to identify, catalyze, and scale technologies and business models that we think can change the way that clothing is made and so really accelerate that shift to a more circular economy. Great. Thank you so much for being with us. Leslie Johnston, Executive Director of the CNA Foundation. We wish you success. Absolutely. Thank you yeah, much. yeah. Great Thanks to, for the opportunity. Thank you. All great. Thank you. You too. Great to have you with us. Such a, uh, I was going to say, Nick, you know, before we sign off here for a break, such a fascinating opportunity to really look at the industry and, and the, you know, she really uh, emphasized this decentralized nature of the supply chain. I think, you know, it's a, you know, I, I I love when we can take a deep dive at a looking at a particular industry mm-hmm. or looking at a particular uh, program, a particular you know particular problem area, because it just really deepens understanding. So um, I certainly was you know was learning a lot from that that uh, conversation. So uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll be talking with Brett Hagler, CEO and co-founder of New Story. We'll be talking about the work they're doing to uh, to create affordable housing with a non profit model, very interesting donor engagement. So we'll be back after a break. This is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.